Hello and welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari. This is the Great Big History Podcast, video edition. In this episode, we start talking about uh, the Roman Republic and early Roman history. So what we see here is the introduction. The Roman Republic, SPQR. Uh, my terrible Latin will be Senatas Populesca. Romanus, the Senate and the people of Rome. The important part about that is notice who comes first. The Senate, not the people. So we'll talk about that. The second thing is, look at the branding. This is the Romans. The Romans know how to brand, how to use soft power, how to show that they're awesome. And where they will go, they will bring SPQR with them the Senate, and the people of Rome. So, the political geography of Italy. Now, we have spoken about geography in every class, every peoples, but we've always talked about physical geography, mountains and rivers, deserts. There's nothing really in Italy that affects the layout of the people. I mean, there's the Alps way in the north. That will separate Italy, Italia from Central Europe. But there's really nothing else. That once you're in Italy, you can rampage all over the place. And yet, not everyone is an Italian, at least at this point. And so we have to talk about the political geography, how peoples, how politics divided up peoples. And here we have four peoples. The Gauls, the Etruscans, the Latins, and the Greeks. So the Gauls are the scariest. They're from Gaul. They're from modern-day France. They came over the mountains. There's a wonderful apocryphal story about how uh, they were drinking and they you know, were having a good time in the south of France, as one would. And someone said, hey, where did this wine come from? And someone else said, oh, it came over those mountains in Italy. And they said, we should go get more. And the Gauls, being tough people, said, yeah. And then they got their weapons and they got their wagons and they went over the mountains and they invaded northern Italy and they happened to show up in the spring when it's awesome. And they said, we should stay here. And so that created Gaul. Gaul is cisalpine Gaul, Gaul on this side of the Alps. The idea is that the people there are not native Italians. They're foreigners who invaded Italy and carved out a kingdom for themselves. Now, that's not united. The Gauls in cisalpine Gaul are not united. It's not one kingdom. It's lots of little kingdoms, lots of little chiefs, lots of little villages. But they are tough. But they are barbarians. They are uncivilized. They are tough but dumb. Now, if you're listening to this, you're going to go, oh, the goals aren't dumb. But we're, we're trying to be simplistic here. And we're going to make a matrix. And so they're simply barbarians. They're barbarians. The Romans saw them as, as the real barbarians. And Greeks do, too. Uh, in the Greek world, the Gauls are known as Galatians. You'll know that from your New Testament. And these are big, tough dudes who use a giant sword and scare the hell out of people. So they're tough, but dumb. The Etruscans are native Italians who are smart. 
The Romans themselves will say everything we learned, we learned from the Etruscans, or at least half of everything we learned, we will learn from the Etruscans. Especially in the beginning. The Etruscans are smart. But they're weak. In reality, it was probably an Etruscan civil war that allowed the Gauls to come into northern Italy. They probably hired them as mercenaries, brought them in, uh, won a war, and then the Gauls turned around and went, Why? wait, wait, why am I working for you? You suck. And then the Gauls went into business for themselves and carved out an empire and brought in their cousins. So the Etruscans are smart, live in cities, have kings, have gold mines, have gold working have great art but they're weak that brings us to the Latins now that's if you're watching the video there's a little blue dot that's Rome Rome is about halfway down on the left hand side of Italy in the Latin area Latium the Latins are not united first of all Rome is a Latin town, but not all Latins are Romans. The thing they have in common is they speak Latin. They are native Italians, and they're dumb, and they're weak. Of all the places in Italy, this one sucks the most. It's far away from trade routes. It's the poorest plain in Italy. The Latins are unorganized. They fight among themselves all the time. And the Romans are just one of them. In fact, some of the hardest conquering in the Roman Empire is going to be the early stages of conquering the other Latins. Why? Because there's no advantage or disadvantage about fighting them. You're kind of the same people. And so it took the longest to fight the other Latins. Their conquest of... of the Greek-speaking East is simple compared to their conquest of the Latins. And so the Latins are, are dumb and weak. They're behind. And Rome will tell you that. The Romans tell you that, that, that they have to learn from other people. The Romans know they're behind. The Romans know they're unsophisticated. Now, they will also tell you that being unsophisticated is a good thing. Because it makes you more real. makes you more authentic. Ooh, these hoity-toity Etruscans. Ooh. These sophisticated Greeks think they're so smart. That brings us to the Greeks. Now, the Greeks, as we know, are foreigners. They're from Greece. They'll, they have conquered Sicily and southern Italy. They've pushed out native Italians. And they are smart because they're the Greeks. They have philosophy. They have drama. They have, they're, the, they're the Greeks. And tough. They, are, they have the phalanx. After Alexander, they have conquered the, Greek, the uh, Persian Empire. They are tough and smart. So we have the Gauls in the north. Tough but dumb. The Etruscans, weak but smart. The Latins, dumb and weak. And the Greeks, tough and smart. So of all those people, should we expect the Romans to be awesome? And the answer is no. 
No. The, la- the Romans should not be an important people. They should have been ground up by somebody, destroyed by somebody, incorporated by somebody, and obliterated from history. So why didn't that happen? Well, because they knew that was what's going to happen. In fact, that will happen to everybody else who will fight against Rome. Is Rome is surrounded by enemies. In fact, they're even owned by the Etruscans for 100 years. They're owned by a foreign king, a foreign occupier. And they know that being surrounded, you better be tough, you better beat up your enemies, or they will beat you up. And so war was a constant state. All men must fight. So unlike the Greeks that gave citizenship after you've joined the army, after you join the military, now the practical effect is all men will join the military, but you still had to actually do it. Whereas in Rome, you were a citizen from the moment you were born. You're born in Rome, you're born to Roman parents, boom, done, you're a Roman citizen, get to work. You owe Rome something. So all people were citizens at birth. That means you have rights and responsibilities, always. And that includes women. Women, from the beginning, are citizens, unlike in the Greek world. They are incorporated into the body politic. Now, they're not going to have necessarily voting rights, but they do have citizenship. They are incorporated in. So, because Roman women were given the job of, not, of having children, giving the next generation of Roman men, and then training them how to be real Roman men. Well, why would the women have to train them how to be Roman men? Because the men are off fighting. They're off working in the fields. They're off making the weapons. They're off fighting in the wars in the summer. So, you need strong tough women who are willing to sacrifice for the state, sacrifice their own children, sacrifice their husbands for the survival of the state. So everyone gets rights and responsibilities from the moment they're born. B, patricians and plebeians made up the state. Patricians are the rich, the top two, three percent. Maybe even 5%, but I usually go with 2%. The top 2%. Basically, the 500 richest families in Rome. You're talking maybe 5,000 people in the early republic. Total. The plebeians are the middle classes. They're citizens. They own some property. They maybe have a trade. They're not necessarily the everyone else because you could be destitute. But for the most part, this is the typical Roman farmer, the middle classes or the plebeians. Then there will be slaves who will be conquered in war. And then there will be freedmen, people who were enslaved but then freed through a system called manumission. The idea was you didn't keep slaves generation after generation after generation. Slaves are a machine, and you use them, and when they are no longer useful, you retire them, and they became citizens. Now, it's not that simple. It's way more complicated. There are 800-page books on the concept of manumission, but the idea was there was a system 
that owners of slaves were expected to use and do use in order to actually help themselves. But the idea was both patricians and plebeians, the rich and the middle and the poor, will join the army to serve the state. Everybody serves in this. The rich and the poor. Everybody serves. What about women? Well, we talk about women. Women are citizens, and they have rights and protections. They have a right to education. They have a right to the marriage veto. Again, we see this again, going all the way back to nomads. Women have a right to their bodies. Again. And in a world where we're talking about sexual harassment, sexual assault, uh, 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 grabbing women by their privates, and people are justly horrified by all this, why? Because it's always been part of civilization, not just Western civilization, but any civilization, that women have a right to their body. Women even keep their family name. They don't divorce themselves from their, from their parents' family when they join a new family. They take on their husband's name, but they keep their family name. Descent is very important here. Kinship is very important here. They're going to have rights to inheritance, to businesses, to own businesses, to run businesses, to legal protections. We have the example of the Vestals, most famously the Vestal Virgins, but the idea of the women are religiously important, can be religiously important. So again, again, after again, after again, we see women as important. Now, there is no one who's going to tell you they're equal. They're not. They're not equal to men. They are different from men. But their position in society is both protected and important. They are not machines. They're not even really children, like in the Greek world, or not in the Greek world, in the Babylonian world. We're still living in a patriarchy. That is totally true. But women have a lot more independence. And as they get wealthier, as families get wealthier, as individuals get wealthier, as the republic gets wealthier, women gain more rights. And we see this in Western civilization. This is definitely a piece of Western civilization. That as the society gets richer, women gain more education, more rights, more choice, more of a say in their lives. The result is that Rome needs people. And that Roman citizens want to stay in the government. If my ass is going to be in the army and I'm going to have to go fight goals who are scary, I want to have a say. I am not a slave. I am a citizen. And Rome says, yeah, you're right. We have to give you that. So we get the republic. The government form we get is a republic. Now we, the United States, is a republic. We say democracy democracy a lot. We are not a democracy. You have to understand it. To understand our government 
at all. To understand America, you have to understand we are not a democracy. Just because you vote once a year does not make us democratic. A democracy votes on everything. The assembly runs the show. The group runs the show. In a republic, you vote for the representatives who will make the laws. In the assembly, in a democracy, the assembly makes the laws. I vote maybe twice a year. I vote for the local school town budget, and I vote for my representatives. And that's it. They're not asking me about where to put stop signs. In a democracy, they would. They're not asking me about dog poop signs. In a democracy, they would. They're not asking me about zoning. Should we allow different kinds of industrial buildings in our town? In a democracy, they would. We are not a democracy. We are a republic. The Republic of the United States of America. You vote for representatives who will vote for the laws. And so who made up the republic? Part one was the Senate, which is literally a group of wealthy old men. Like Senate means wealthy old men. Group of old white men. Literally a group of old men is the Senate. They represented the patricians. They represented the old families. They represented power in Rome. They decided to get rid of a king. And very famously, there's a revolt led by a Bruti, led by Brutus. The same family who 500 years later will kill Caesar, led by a Brutus, who will kick the king out, the Etruscan king out of Rome, and form the Republic. So it's, it's, it's appropriate, it's, it's right that the man who kills Caesar is a Brutus. He is a king killer, like Jamie Lannister in Game of Thrones. His father's 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 father, all the way back, when he woke up, he'd have to walk through the foyer of his great house, and in the foyer were all the busts of the great men of the family, and there, right there, is the king killer, the king slayer, the man who formed the republic. It's like being related to George Washington. And so, of course, it has to be a Brutus that gets rid of Caesar. It's poetic. It has to be. He has 500 years of history crashing down on his head of how he's supposed to act. And so when they kicked out the Etruscan king... In 509, these old men of the families looked at each other and said, well, who's going to run the show? And they decided, we all could run the show. We'll run it together. We all know each other. We're all friends. We'll run it together. Every year, we'll elect a general. We'll elect two generals called consuls. who will technically be in charge, but they're mostly just to facilitate what we talk about. But we can all decide together. And how the Senate will run is by consensus. We agree. 
We all talk about it, and we come to a general agreement. Now, what consensus does is protect the minority. The majority gets what it wants, and the minority gets protections because the minority can slow it up. The minority can gain protections from the negotiation. Because the idea of consensus is we all agree. It's not a vote. It's not the majority. It's not even two-thirds. It's everybody agrees. The disadvantage of consensus is it slows everything up. The majority will get what it wants. The minority in any decision doesn't get run over. But it takes a while to have negotiations. A dictatorship is way easier. Kin kingship is way easier. Go back to the Code of Hammurabi. Who made the law? Hammurabi did. Boom. Done. Moving on. Here we have to negotiate. So old men are going to make decisions. And they're going to make decisions by consensus. And that idea is we can all agree. And in fact, our Senate originally was supposed to run this way. In fact, our Senate still has the idea that it should run this way. You need 60 votes to bring something to the floor. You need some kind of general consensus. The Senate's not built to run on a 51-49 decision. It's just not built that way. So what about the people? What about the patricians? Well, they're number two, the tribunes, T-R-I-B-U-N-E, tribunes. They're the elected representatives. They're like our House of Representatives. They're the elected representatives from the districts of Rome that show up in the Senate and hang out. And their job is to listen, nod along, and occasionally go, yeah, I don't know what the people are going to think about that. And more importantly, to take any laws before they're voted on back to the people. So this is how it would work. The Senate would get together and go, you know what we should definitely do? Tax reform. You know what? Everyone who's a patrician should pay zero taxes. And everyone who's not a patrician should have to pay three times more. They should go up 300%. Wouldn't that be great? And all the senators say, yeah, yeah, that's great. We have consensus. That's great. Let's vote on it. We can't vote on it. Tribunes. And there'd be 12 tribunes from the different sections of Rome. Tribunes. Go back to the people and tell them what we're thinking about doing. And so they go back. They call an assembly. And they say, hey, this is what the Senate is thinking of doing. And the assembly might be 25 to 100 people, maybe, maybe 200 people. Think of it as um, uh, an open, a town hall meeting for a representative, a house representative, or state senator, a state representative today. You get a couple people, 25, 50, 100 people. And you ask, you say, okay, plebeian taxes are going to go up 300% while... Patrician taxes, the rich people's taxes will be zero. And you're going to get one of four reactions. You're going to get total support. Woo! Awesome! Totally awesome! We should all do that! Totally do it! In which case, it's probably going to pass. There's the, yeah, I guess. 
If you, yeah, if you think it's a good idea. All right. Then there's the, I don't know. This seems kind of weird. I'm not really supportive of it. I don't know. That's the third. And then there's the fourth. If you do this, I'm going to burn everything down. I'm going to burn down your house. I'm going to burn down the, the, the street. I'm going to burn down the temples. I'm going to burn it all down. You get one of four reactions. Either you're totally for it. You're kind of for it. You're kind of against it. You're totally against it. And so the tribunes the next day go to the Senate and say, and the Senate says, we are the Senate. We can do whatever we want. We can pass any law we want. But tribunes, tell us what the people think. It's like a poll. And the tribunes say, yeah, they are. If you pass that, they are burning down the city. They're going to kill you all. And we're going to start speaking Greek. And so the Senate nods and goes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, so what shall we do? Shall we vote? And someone will say, I uh, move that we table the discussion of tax reform. Second, okay, we'll table it. We could pass it if we want, but we have other things to talk about. And that's the idea of how the Senate works. The Senate could pass tax reform, but it listens to the representatives of the people to keep the peace. Because everyone lives in Rome. Everyone needs to fight the Gauls or the Greeks. The Gauls to the south or the Greeks to the... The Greeks to the south or the Gauls to the north. The world is too hard in Rome to be fighting among each other. You need people too much. And so the idea is very simple. You don't want to piss off the 98%. They will kill you. And they'll raise a king. They'll invite the Gauls in. They'll invite the Etruscans in. They'll invite the Greeks in. And even worse, you'll end up with democracy. So not only will they kill the rich people, they'll take all their stuff. And so we get the Senate, old, rich patricians. We get the tribunes, the elected representatives. And then we have the rules. And that's going to be the 12 tables. The 12 tables are like a written constitution. They're the start. They're the rules of society for everyone. And the most important rule is... The rules apply to everyone equally, and that's new. We have some of that in Greece, but we get it really in Rome. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. The law doesn't care. This is how our law works. It's very different from the Code of Hammurabi, which said an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth if you're of the same social status. Now we get an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We don't even get that. We have a whole nother system where we're going to have judges and we're going to have lawyers and we're going to have juries that the society is going to decide your, your guilt or innocence. But we're going to have the rules, we're going to write them down, and we're going to put them in a public square so that everyone can see them. So that no matter who you are, you can walk up to them and if you can read, you can look at it and go, number seven, number seven applies to me. And even if you can't read, you can hire a dude, a lawyer, to come and tell you number seven applies to you. It's right there. And you'll squint at it and go, okay, if you say so, because you can't read. But it's right there in the public sphere, in the public space. We have the 12 tables. Now, why would we have this? Well, because there was a, there was a war. I think it's against the goals that the Senate declared. The Senate declared a war against the goals, and they didn't 
This is in 450 BC. And they didn't ask the tribunes. They didn't ask the people. They just walked out of the Senate and said, we're at war. Get your weapons. And they called out, they called out the, the militia. And the militia went out to the field of Mars to assemble in their, in their giant rectangles and their legions. They assembled. And when the general, the, the consul said, let's march, let's go north, they sat down. They had a sit-down strike. And the patricians, generals, and officers freaked out and went, we're at war. And the leading plebeian said, we're not at war. I didn't vote on anything. Did you vote on anything? No? I didn't vote on anything. Did you vote on anything? No? Did any of uh, at tribunes, did you vote on anything? No, 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 no. You're at war against the Gauls. We're not at war. But, but, but the Gauls are going to come and take your stuff. Do you have anything? I don't have anything. No, they're going to come and take your stuff. You're the rich guys. We don't have anything. Well, 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 what do you want? We want to have a say. We want to be treated equally. And that's what they got. They got, they were needed. You needed to have the poor and the middle class in the army to fight the wars. And so what the Republic does from the very beginning is benefit everyone, at least if you're Roman. The patricians will take less. Fine, fine, I'll give up some of my power. Maybe not all that much. Maybe it's only symbolic power, but I'll give it up. In exchange, everyone gains. I will take less at top so that all people benefit. All ships rise. Because if I go out to fight the goals by myself with my little dinky army of just patricians, we will get crushed. We will get killed. The, the goals will run into Rome as they do in 309 BC, sack the place, steal all my stuff, burn my house down, kill my kids. And then what have I won? I've won nothing. And so there's from the very beginning of Rome, the idea of sacrifice that everyone sacrifices. And you could appeal to that. There is plenty of, of, of literature that we have of people, citizens, uh, saying, I have given for Rome, and this isn't fair in the courts. I have done what was asked of me, and this isn't fair. Even in to get elected, it is not un, it was not rare for a, a guy who wanted to be elected senator to get up in the public square, to calling out to people, vote for me, vote for me, and then strip down to his underwear. Why? To show off his scars. To show off, I have been in battle. I was at Zama with you. I fought Hannibal in Italy with you. I was there. This scar, this scar, I have sacrificed for Rome. I'm not some pretty boy who never did a day of work in his life. I have sacrificed for Rome. I am rich. Yes, I come from a rich family. Yes, but I have done just as much. I have sacrificed just as much as you have. 
So this gets us to the concept of natio, N-A-T-I-O. Natio, natio, where we get nationhood from, nationality, nationalism. It's the idea that anybody, 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 anybody can be a Roman citizen. Anybody. What you have to do is fight for Rome and act Roman. That should sound familiar to you because it's how America works. The United States allows anybody to be an American if you're willing to sacrifice for the United States. If you're willing to act like an American. And this is huge because it allows non-Romans to become Roman. It's absolutely huge. Why? Because it gave an in for non-Romans. Kind of like the Persians were willing to hire people. The Romans say, you can become Roman. We can beat you up, but then after that, you can be Roman. Or we won't beat you up. Just become Roman. Join us. We have a mechanism. Now, that's very different from the Greeks. The Greeks protected their citizenship. To be an Athenian, to be Spartan, you had to have Athenian parents and be born in Athens. The Spartans were even harsher in who got to be a Spartan. They were very limited. They said, it's special. The Hebrews are the same way. It's even today, 3,000 years later, it is almost impossible to convert to Judaism. You can do it. It ain't easy. We have Christianity. You get dunked in water. You take a bath and you say, I love Jesus. And boom, that's, you're a Christian and you're born again. Boom, you took a bath and you're born again. You, your soul is cleansed. Congratulations. Judaism, much harder, because if you're going to be special, the idea went, which makes sense. It's not wrong. You can think about how traditional that is. If I am special, the more people who are special make me less special. It's in The Incredibles, in the Pixar movie. When Dash says, uh... But I'm special to his mom. He's, he's upset because he can't use his superpowers. And he goes, but I'm special. And the mom says, Dash, everyone is special. To which he responds, then if everyone's special, then nobody's special. And so for ancient societies, they wanted to keep their specialness. The Romans were radical revolutionary in this idea. Even today, it's a revolutionary idea. The idea that anybody can become an American. Anybody. No matter where you're from. My genes are from all over Europe. All over the place. In different time periods. Scott-Irish, Irish, Hungarian, German, Italian. All over the place. And they came in different eras. And they mixed them all together and pop. Out came me. But that's Rome. If you ever watched the movie Gladiator, they call Maximus the Spaniard. Why? Because he's from Spain. He's from Hispania. He's not Italian. But does that mean he's less Roman? No. He's general of the emperor's armies. He is as Roman as anyone else. That Roman was an idea rather than a place, rather than a birth. And that's Nashio. And this changes 
everything because it meant Rome could get people. No matter how many times you defeat a Roman army, they can make more because they could go to people and say, we need men. Will you fight for Rome? And they said, will you make me a Roman? And Rome said, yes, we will. Gauls, Greeks, Latins, Etruscans, uh, later Greeks, Carthaginians, Spaniards, Northern Gaul, they, they will absorb them all and they'll churn out Italian Romans. They will churn them out to be Romans. So they assimilated those talents. They absorbed those talents and they created something new, which was a Roman, but a Roman that incorporated Gaul ideas, Greek ideas, Carthaginian ideas. A Roman in the first century BC was not the same as a Roman in the fifth century BC, who is not the same as a Roman in the seventh century BC. They incorporated other people's ideas. So in our next episode, we're going to talk about how the Romans fought. The Roman Legion. Thank you.